Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Some of you may remember, I have been here before, but um, it was on there. (laughs) I haven't actually been here, so it's good to see you all in person. You know, we expect to see stories like like this on our news, don't we? It's going to work. Um, Ukraine, we've been spending a lot of time praying about Ukraine recently, haven't we? And quite rightly too. And then just a few weeks ago, we saw this happened in America. Both are terrible atrocities with tragic loss of life. And we expect to see that on the news, don't we? But what I'm going to show you now is a very short video of something that you will see won't make the headlines, but it goes on all the time. Fanza Kapuan, Yamam Sita, Ayawa, La Big, La Sampao, Sponsunga Sam, Sang Cheka, Asamam, Sukuraman Vima, Ayon Rayapuan, Mamnandu Vim Dawanwana. For these people that came from different areas, different communities in Burkina Faso, they are women that their husbands were killed um, by Islamic terrorists. They were killed and most of them have been displaced from their communities. The first step in, in the healing, the lesson is, if God loves us, why do we suffer? It's, it's trying to to bring a light to them that whatever happens, we should remember God's character. We talk about forgiveness. If you're able to forgive, you can live more peaceful lives. And finally, we talk about uh, the cross ceremony where they are able to carry their pain to the cross. The way trauma healing works, sometimes I look at it and I think it's just a miracle. The first day they came on Monday, you could see, you could literally feel the pain. Now, yesterday I, I noticed that some of them started smiling. Because after we did the, 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 the lesson on the grieving, it was like something just lit up in their faces. It's, it's like, wow, so I can actually grieve, I can actually cry, I can actually tell God how I feel. And by this morning, they were laughing and, and I was like, wow, I'm really happy today your face is shining. Because I, it's like the first day you were not smiling, yesterday you smiled, today you're laughing. And they were like, really, that God has healed them. At Open Doors, we estimate that there are some 360 million Christians in the world. 
that continue to suffer high levels of persecution or discrimination. And if we like to put that a, another way, that's one in seven of the total Christian global community. So we related that to the fellowship here this morning. That would mean that something like 10, 11, 12 of you will be suffering in this way. You know, Open Doors is pleased to help Martine's family and others like her because we want to help restore the joy that they once had. The Bible tells us to do that. That's our responsibility. They're our family. They're our brothers and sisters. And there's no end to that which we would go to, is there, to help our own brothers and sisters in our own families. And we should treat them just the same. And we're reminded of what it says in 2 Corinthians, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And if we look further into sub-Saharan Africa, we can see the persecution gets even worse there the persecution numbers, stats go down to one in five will be persecuted. This is in countries like Nigeria and Niger and Cameroon and Burkina Faso where we, we saw that video was from. And if you go into Asia, then it is more like two in five. Two in five as communist and nationalist regimes increase their drive to rid the country of every religion except their own or in the case of communist countries of course communism and as you're probably aware every year Open Doors produces uh, a world watch list we track the depth of persecution there is throughout the world and this is the, uh, the world watch list and what it looks like and I've got a copy of that with me today in fact, I've got several copies, so I invite you to take one of those at the end of the service. I've got a number of different bits of literature, which I'll talk about later, but if you take one piece of literature away with you this morning, I would suggest that you take one of these, because that gives you a brief description of the top 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian, and particularly what you can pray about. And then if we look at that globally, this is the World Watch List map. And those of you that are familiar with this map will notice that there are no countries coloured in yellow now. They're all red and orange. That means all of the top 50 countries are suffering high or extreme levels of persecution. It doesn't mean to say that persecution has got any less in the other countries. The yellow countries are still there, they just don't make it into the top 50. Now I'm sure you've focused a lot on Ukraine recently and rightly so with everything that is happening there and continues to happen. But we mustn't forget our brothers and sisters because the persecution of Christians has now reached its highest levels since the world watch list began some 30 years ago. It's not decreasing, it's increasing. And for the first time, Afghanistan is now number one on that list fueled by the restrictions imposed by the Taliban. All that was once considered beautiful and vibrant is now banned. And for the Christian to be discovered is simply a death sentence. 
But that doesn't mean that, as I say, that persecution has eased elsewhere. It's still desperately hard to follow Christ in many other countries and North Korea has gone into number two after the first time for 20 years. But only because of this triumph by the Taliban, which has actually boosted other terrorist groups as well, particularly in Africa. You've got Boko Haram, you've got the Fulani herdsmen, and you've got now ISWA, which stands for Islamic State West Africa. And the total number of Christians that are being persecuted for their faith has gone up as well. This is the increase you can see there in the numbers. Now those figures talk about 21 figures and up to 5,198 in 2022. Of course those figures are when they're reported, so they're actually for the previous years. And as you see there, that Nigeria has actually contributed the most of that with a total of 4,650 deaths. There's also a new era of persecution unfolding in China, digital persecution. China re-entered the world watch list last year into the top 20 and it now ranks number 17 in that list. Many churches have been torn down, as you may have seen this, uh, sometimes on the news it's there, um, not often, but sometimes they show it. And the church is being forced underground once again. It's also been compulsory to install facial recognition, such as you can see there, because it's illegal for anybody under 18 to go to church in China now. Anybody under 18 is not allowed to go to church. This is a big step back for China that has experienced a good degree of freedom over recent years. So the World Watch List gives us much more information on exactly how Open Doors is helping that global church that is fast becoming a refugee church which makes it even more vulnerable. China is continuing to persuade other countries to control everything centrally, including religion. And countries where law and order are not what we would expect them to be here in the West, particularly in Asia, allows vigilante groups to enact their own attacks of abuse, violence, rape and murder and do it with impunity as they defend their nation's nationalistic stance. And on top of all of this, COVID is still used, it's still alive and well, I'm afraid to say, and it's used to abuse and neglect Christians when it comes to aid and assistance. But the message that comes across consistently from the Christians that we meet and we help and we deal with is um, not to pray for this persecution to stop. Now that may sound strange to you, but they say don't pray for the persecution to stop. They say rather pray for us to stand firm in the faith. That's what they're praying for. That's what they're asking us to pray for. Because they know that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. May I remind you of the words from Paul's letter to the Romans where he says, Bless those who persecute you. These are all strange words to us, aren't they? Bless and do not curse when you really think about them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who will weep. Now we'll be talking more about that a, a little later on but we are trying to help at the moment by encouraging these Christians as you saw there in the trauma centres that we set up in Nigeria to help those who have lost their loved ones and trying to rebuild their lives and understand why this has happened to them the same as we would all be. So we're encouraging them, we're training them, we're training people over there to lead them in those courses, teaching them and of course providing the resources that are needed, whether that's biblical uh, literature or Bibles or it might be medicines or food in the case of the uh, Covid outbreak and, uh, and where food was so short. And what we ask you to do, and again I'll be saying a little bit more about this later, but is to stand in the gap, to give, to act and to pray. And so for more information of where you can find out what you can do personally, then I would encourage you to go to our website. Uh, There's lots of information in there. I've only had a limited time this morning, but there's obviously lots more on there and things that you can do, and particularly on there, can I just emphasise that there are prayer resources. I've got things with me today on that as well, of course, but prayer resources because prayer is the single most important thing that every Christian can do for our brothers and sisters. They ask us to pray for them. They thank us for our prayers. I would encourage you to continue to do the same every day. Not just once a week or when you remember it. Every day they need our prayers. Thank you. Good morning. The reading, can you hear me? The reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Suffering for being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thank you, Lorraine. Now, just have to check my gizmo's still on. Yes, it is. So we're all in business. Very good. Well, testing. Over the last year and a half, our lives have been dominated by testing, haven't they? Remember these? The swabs that make you gag. The probes that make you sneeze. That's quite unpleasant, wasn't it? 
and especially if you had to do it on a younger person, then waiting for the result. Will it be one line or will it be two? (laughs) But these aren't the only tests in our lives, are they? Life's full of tests, isn't it? Tests at school, driving tests, eye tests, blood tests, health and fitness tests, tests in job interviews, quite a procedure. Um, Pretty unpleasant, some of them. Um, And uh, maybe, if we're truthful, sometimes they're quite painful. But what's their purpose? Well, in almost all of them, they prove something. Something that is already true. They give us confirmation, evidence or proof that something is real or genuine, that basically we, we pass or we fail. And the Bible tells us that some tests in life, particularly for the Christian, can be used to give glory to God and therein can be used for good. They prove our faith to be genuine, for it to be authentic and lead to a refining, a a reforming and a deepening of our character and commitment to Jesus. Now testing is something Zabby knows all too well. Zabby has a secret. She's a Christian and the Taliban know it. When Afghanistan dramatically fell into the hands of the Taliban last summer, Zabi's only choice was to flee her home, to run for her life. She was forced to gather whatever possession she could find and run for the border. You see, a few years ago, Zabi's father was killed for being a Christian. One day, the Taliban came for him, they tortured him, and then they killed him. And soon after that, her brother disappeared and has not been heard from since. Today, Zabi is a refugee. I may go into hiding or be deported to Afghanistan. I may be killed if that happens, Zabi says. In this life, you see, if we call ourselves Christians, a follower of Jesus, we will face tests. Not maybe, the Bible says there in that passage we read, we will. Our faithfulness will be challenged. It will be tested. Now, few of us will face martyrdom or extreme persecution like Zabi and her family. But there will be moments when we need to make a choice, a decision when we're put under pressure of whether we're going to choose the world or whether we're going to choose Jesus. The question for us is, will we pass? Or will we fail? So the first point this morning really, based on that, is we should expect persecution. We read earlier from Peter. I like that introduction by the way, that's quite good isn't it? Um, Peter was writing from Rome, the epicentre of the empire around AD 64, to a scattered group of believers living in Asia Minor, or what we know today as Turkey. A faithful minority living in an increasingly scary and hostile world. History tells us that the early church were hunted, tortured, set alight, sent to the circus to be killed by animals or gladiators. 
daring to utter the words, I'm a Christian, not only led to mockery and insults, it was potentially lethal. Peter says in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Everything we get from the outside world says um, that we should be better off, doesn't it? Especially at the moment. We should be enjoying ourselves, getting richer, striving to get on to the next run. And this sometimes gets translated into church life, doesn't it? Sometimes we say that we are blessed because of all that we have. And we don't or haven't really suffered in any way. But here Peter has a very different message for us. For those who follow Jesus, that in life things won't always go as you want them to go. They won't go exactly as you've planned. And he says, don't be surprised at this. Now he's not talking about things like when your car breaks down or when you have a water leak at home or you miss an appointment because you're stuck in traffic. That's definitely not what Peter is talking about here. This is specific suffering for following Jesus which in the context is something we should expect that we will have to persevere through and if we are surprised by it, then something's amiss. If I held a birthday party for somebody every year, a surprise birthday party, by the second or third year, it wouldn't be a surprise anymore, would it? You say, oh, it's that time of year again. (laughs) Yeah, we're expecting that. You see, instead of shock and surprise, a Christian should expect persecution. And what's more, when we do, Peter says that we should... Rejoice. I think we missed one there, where we are. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It feels a bit like a paradox, doesn't it? But this is what it says, like we rejoice at good news, the birth of a baby, or with a newly married couple, or maybe even that Tottenham are in the Champions League again. Oh, good. I usually get a boo at that point. (laughs) But we don't tend to rejoice, do we, in all seriousness, about persecution. Yet look what it says. In the New King James it says, Rejoice as you partake in Christ's sufferings and be glad with exceeding joy. You see, Jesus, the God-man, the one whom is a Christian, we aim to be more like suffered by going to the cross, didn't he, on our behalf. As has been mentioned already this morning, no sin found in him, and yet to the cross he surrenders and dies in our place, the most brutal and savage of deaths. And so when we suffer for belonging to him, there is something to be joyful about, that we are worthy to suffer like our Lord. And for the early church there was an expectation to be tested, to feel the heat of suffering, to suffer for Christ, to share in his suffering, and so become more like Jesus in the process. For they were people belonging to a different kingdom, with an allegiance to the ruler of heaven, and not the ruler of Rome. For Afghan Christians like Zabi, 
it didn't seem like life could get any worse. It was already extremely difficult to live as a Christian in, uh, in, in um, Afghanistan. But then the Taliban took over. They took power. And it was also the same for, for David. David lived in Mosul in Iraq. And back in 2014 when Islamic State swept through the Nineveh plain, they were targeting Christians amongst others, burning their churches, homes, crucifying Christians. And when they came to um, uh, David's house, he had to flee. He had, and his family had 24 hours to pack up and leave, to take whatever they could with them and just leave the country and flee for themselves, for their lives. That's leaving the home as well, of course, which they had built themselves. But after Moser was uh, liberated in 2017, the family returned home, but now it was a ruin. And having to sell it for half his val- its value because they were Christians. Now, understandably, you might expect David to be a bit peeved, a bit upset, and perhaps even angry. But David was prepared to forgive. Why? Well, with a smile on his face, he said, because Jesus tells us to. No amount of suffering was going to steal his joy. And in fact, it reminds me of what the apostles did in Acts chapter 5. We read this. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. Now the question for me, and I hope it's the question for you as well, is, well that's all well and good, isn't it? But what's the solution? How are we expected to have this attitude? Well that brings us to my second point, is that we need to have an eternal view. When you consider the testimony of our persecuted family, and the verses we're looking at this morning, the thing that's consistent is a faithfulness to Jesus and being more mindful of his kingdom than the kingdom we build for ourselves, our everyday lives. Now, this is easy to say and hard to do, but the solution is simple. And it's we have to have eyes on the eternal and not what is right in front of us. It's why Peter says, rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, there's more to come. We can rejoice because we belong to Jesus, even in suffering, even in pain, because to walk that path, the path that our Saviour walked, and the beauty of this is that even though Jesus suffered and went to the cross, he did not stay dead. Friday was not the end of the story, was it? Praise the Lord. For the glory of the resurrection follows his death. And for those who follow Christ, the glory of resurrection is found through suffering. You see, we become part of the solution as we are his hands and feet in this world until at such time as he calls us home. But to belong to Jesus means to encounter suffering, to expect it. And in the midst of trial, we need to see this bigger picture. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. 
But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And quite simply as Christians, we need to focus on the bigger picture. Now, this is an illustration, okay? Forgive me, I usually use this for the children, but um, we're all big kids really, aren't we? (laughs) Now, I've I've got a rope here. As you can see, it's quite a long rope. Get it all out. There we are. So I'll come round here if you don't mind. There we go, and then you'll be able to see better. You see, this is quite a long rope, but I want you to imagine it's even longer. That it actually goes out of this building. It doesn't actually, it's tied up to the step there, but it goes out of the building, goes round the world a zillion times, and then off into space. That'd be a pretty long rope, wouldn't it? Especially as there's no end to space, eternity. Don't know about you, but that does my head in, but that's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's eternity. Okay, now, can you see this little bit? Apologies if you've seen this before, but see that little black bit at the end of the rope there? Can you see that? That actually demonstrates the amount of time that we're on earth. And that's what we worry about. We worry about here when we're, when we're born, are we going to go to the right school? Are we going to get the right job? Are we going to have enough to afford the right car? And, and, and then about the house, and are we going to live in the right place? And and we're worried about all these little things. Yeah, and then somebody says, well, if you follow Jesus there, that, that's going to affect all of that life there. You'll, you'll, you'll pay for that if you believe in Jesus. All of that bit there. So you're stupid if you believe in Jesus because look what it's going to do. And I say, well, you're stupid if you don't because look what it's going to affect for the rest of your life. The whole of eternity the whole of eternity. And we need to get that as a picture in our lives as Christians. That the part that we have here is so short compared to what God has in store for us. And Christians like Zabi and David, in a purely earthly sense, will never be known. They're not famous. They're not on Twitter or TikTok or some other social media platform that gives them fame and exposure to the public. Because on the face of it, they have nothing. They are nothing in the eyes of the world. But these will be the legends in heaven. Heroes of the faith, because they have eyes on the greater prize. And in that, they rejoice. When Islamic State swept across the Nineveh plain in northern Iraq a few years back, Dr. Rabiah lost everything he had strived for in his life. In the space of a few hours, Rebiah had everything gone. He ran a successful business. He owned a couple of cars. He was, uh, had a few properties. He had some land. In fact, he was considered quite successful. You could say that he had it all. But a few hours changed that as IS swept through the town to cleanse it of Christians and Dr. Rabiah, a bit like David, had to grab everything he had and run for their lives. And persecution turned Rabiah's life upside down, but it deepened and refined his faith. Before they took, before they took everything away, I was a Christian only by name, 
but now my faith is alive. I, know now, I now know the love of God more than ever before, Rabiah went on to say. One of the greatest challenges you face as Christians in the West is that you're more in love with life than you are with Jesus and it makes you unwilling to die for him. Do you know when I was in Egypt that was the thing that hit me the most because they said exactly the same thing to me. They said you're in your West, you like your houses, your bank account, your cars and you worry more about those things than you do Jesus. And I had to admit that he was probably right. Testing through suffering, persecution leads to a deepening, a reforming of our faith and our identity in Christ. We might not fully understand or choose these experiences, but maybe the effect of suffering is to free us from those attachments that we have, those things that we cling on to in this life that we think we need. I'm not talking about we should all go and live on the streets, by the way, just in case you think that's the message here. I'm not saying that. But it's where our focus is. And by, by relinquishing our focus on those things, it will help us to love Jesus more. Ultimately, it can free us to be more in love with Jesus Christ. My challenge is this. If our brothers and sisters can endure this despite the huge challenges like ISIS and the rest of the persecution that goes on, whatever challenges we face, we can persevere through. Which brings me to my last point. Suffering for the right reasons means blessing. And finally, we need to ensure that we suffer for the right reason. That is, for following Christ which we are told results in blessing. Look at that verse that Lorraine read first there, verses 14 16. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and God and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name as Christians we are to bring honour to God's name we are not to go looking for trouble or to suffer that that would be madness but to know that in the middle of it all the Holy Spirit rests on those who are faithful to him not the murderer or the thief or the evildoer or the meddler but the one who belongs to Jesus with murderers and thieves, that's fairly straightforward to see how that is destructive and will bring its own suffering. But you know, it mentions meddling there too, doesn't it? Strange thing to have next to murderers and thieves. Meddling causes destruction too. Busybodies, gossips, is put in the same sentence as these others and we should have no time for it. It's like a, a self-destruct button. It causes suffering of its own doing. Rather, in all things, entrust yourselves to a faithful God. Peter goes on to say in verses 17 and 18 that judgment is on the way and that suffering, going through the fire, can refine us. Just as gold is refined in the fire, so we can be purified. 
point of life for the Christian isn't happiness and comfort all the time. It's not about rising up the career ladder or to be highly thought of even as a Christian, to be a popular Christian. It's to deepen our intimacy with God. We do that through surrender to become more like Jesus. The edges are knocked off of us. The impurities are stripped away. And quite simply, Jesus longs to see his own reflection in us. Just as the refiner sees his reflection in the purified gold. Suffering is almost always used by God in shaping us, working good out of the bad. And when the gold is melted and the impurities removed and the refining over, the gold is pure and even more valuable. And perhaps today, right now, you need to be reminded of how valuable you are. Whatever you are going through right now, whatever challenges you are facing at this minute, Jesus is with you. Be assured you are loved and you are precious. Rest in the knowledge that he knows what it's like to be tested, persecuted, suffer, to be hated, to mock. He knows what it's like to be put to death. As we're tested to the limit, refined, repurposed, where's Jesus? He's right there next to us. He's right there with us. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, I'm aware my time's gone. Do you want to hear one more story? Right. (laughs) This is something that Bay from North Korea experiences daily. She says, whenever I open my eyes in the morning, I feel the presence of our Father. Bay describes the suffering she goes through as a shortcut to God, a way of knowing and experiencing Jesus more deeply. Every morning in the village she's forced to live in, Bay spends her day working in the field. She has a daily quota to achieve. Bay was sentenced to a lifetime of hard labour just for owning a Bible. Like everyone else in her village, Bay is close to starving. That's, the authorities give them enough, just enough to keep them alive. And that's partly as a punishment. It's also partly indicative of the tremendous food crisis there is in North Korea at the moment. But this isn't Bay's real work. Bay's real work begins at night. And under the cover of darkness, she'll go out to the nearby forest She'll go into that forest and she'll retrieve her Bible which she hides underneath a tree stump. She pulls it out, puts it underneath her coat and goes back to her house where her friends have already drawn the curtains, lit a candle and together Bay begins to read the word of God. This is Bay's real work. It's the North Korean underground church. Open Doors estimates that there are around 40,000 secret Christians in North Korea. And where's Jesus? He's right there next to them. I could tell you other encouraging stories. Let me tell you one quickly, because I'll get told off by my wife if I don't tell you this. When I was in Egypt, there was a a story of a pastor who was known by the uh, contact 
who was there, who we were, we were with for the week that we were there. And he said, this pastor had just come from a prayer meeting. And uh, he was walking along the road and suddenly two men came up from behind him, put a hood over his head and he was bundled into the back of a van. And he thought, Lord, this is it. I'm now going to face that which so many others have faced. What will happen when this hood comes off? What will I do? And he prayed and he prayed that God would keep him to help him to stand firm in his faith with whatever he went through. He drove in this van for some time. Nobody said anything to him. Eventually it stopped. Somebody came round the back. They got him out of the back of the van and then he was led down some steps into a basement. When he got into the basement, they ushered him to a chair and sat him down and then they took the hood off. What did he see? Well, in a semicircle around him, there were imams all seated there in their black garb, their headgear. These are the leaders of the Islamic Church in Egypt. And he thought, well, what's going to happen now? Lord, just help me in this. And the lead imam in the middle, he turned to this pastor and he said, Pastor, we're sorry to have to bring you... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Difficult story to tell this. (laughs) said, we're sorry to have to bring you here like this. He said, but we too follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. And we want to take communion, but we don't know how to. Will you lead us in communion here now? You see, the secret church will go on regardless of what the devil and the evil one does. It will be there. It will continue to grow. And despite this persecution, the church continues to grow. Let me show you this uh, verse. In Ezekiel, it says, when you... um, Next one, I think. Yes. I've looked for someone among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I'd not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I mentioned this earlier, didn't I? Standing in the gap. And you may well have asked what you could do this morning to help. I know you give as a church and we thank you for that. It's very generous giving. We pray that you're able to... God blesses you so you're able to continue to do that. But in this analogy of give, act, pray, this is standing in the gap. We always used to say pray first because pray is the most important thing that anyone can do. And I always used to say that if you can't give, if you you can't do anything else, you can pray. And it is the most important thing we do. But we change this around slightly so that we're saying if you can give, well that's great. You might want to do that as an individual. And I've got some literature which you can take away. I've got some cards here where you can sign up um, to get your own information as opposed to just what comes from Joe and through the church. Um, but we'd like you to stand in the gap because they relying, the persecuted church is relying on us. They're relying on us. They're desperate for our prayers. They're not desperate for our money, really, but we, we can give that because it helps us and enables us to do things. We wouldn't be able to do it without the gifts, would we? So we wouldn't be able to go and support them. There are things you can do, like writing to your MP. It's dead easy if you go online. Everything's done for you there online. You've only just got to go and you've just got to sign up.
for advocacy letters and they'll tell you who your MP is if you put your postcode in and you can wang off a letter that's already prepared to them. And if I can just encourage you in one thing that's happening, and with this Paul, I will finish, I promise, sorry. Um, in July, like a few weeks' time, they're going to hold this uh, Freedom of Religion and Belief Ministerial Conference in this country. It's international. Open Doors will be very much involved in that. It's being run by Fiona Bruce. That's Fiona Bruce MP and not the presenter, which Joe asks me every time I mention her name. But she's, uh, she's been appointed, as you know, as the Special Advisor to the Prime Minister of on freedom of religion and belief and that's something certainly you can write to your MP about and there's links again on the website to be able to do that so press on press on towards the mark for the crown of glory awaits and with that I'll be quiet and sit down thank you (laughs)